Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Jim White, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. On today's episode, we ask whether Steven Gerrard's managerial move to Saudi Arabia is based on career progression or money. I chat to former England batsman Sir Geoffrey Boycott, who says Australia should have withdrawn their appeal following the controversial dismissal of Johnny Bairstow in the second Ashes Test. And we discuss the ongoing debate about Russian and Belarusian players competing at Wimbledon. The Saudi Pro League. I'm not sure where we're, we're going with this, Simon. I'm hearing all sorts of things coming out of that part of the world. Yep. For example, I heard this morning there'll be three very, very big announcements mm-hmm. in the coming days involving the Saudis and sport. Now, that is very general, but we'll keep across it and we'll see, see what goes on there. But now it's the more high-profile individuals are going out there. Ronaldo started it yep. and was the first player out there and is earning sack loads of money but he says it was a challenge to put Saudi Arabia on the football mat that lured him out there in the first place Oh yeah. but we'll see there and now we know that Stephen Gerrard um, has had a bit of a U-turn and has decided to take up um, the owners of Al Etifak and their offer to go out and coach them who are they? they were 7th last season and they finished up 35 points behind the champions who as you know are Al Itihan. Of course. Um, but Stephen had a message for everybody just before he arrives in Saudi Arabia. This is Liverpool, a hard-edged seaport city on the northwest coast of England, the authentic home of the Mersey Beat. You hear the beat everywhere in Liverpool like this one. Mahaba, Anna Stephen Gerrard, Anna El Etifaki. Okay, 
So that's it. It's yes. uh, hi to everybody from Stephen Gerrard as he lands in Saudi Arabia. The way they're doing these videos, Simon, and everything like it, it's very Premier League style, isn't it? This is what some of the, the Premier League clubs do when well, they welcome well, a new end. player or a manager. It's high end. I'm assuming ATM is the same translated into uh, Saudi uh, terminologies because that's why he's going there, which I have no issue with. I have no issue with people going somewhere for money. <laughs> But let's not call this a football move right now. Let's call this a financial move, which he's fully entitled to do. Of course, they're going to trade. We all know that to build the profile and prestige and the, the lure of something, you need to really focus on making it stand out. And you've got a legacy football player in Steven Gerrard. Not a legacy manager. You've got a legacy football player. And so Gerrard goes over to Saudi and does what I had hoped he wouldn't do, and I think uh, myself and Danny Murphy discussed it last week, which was make a non-football decision. If he believes, ultimately, that that's going to give him a pathway back into English football, I think he's wrong. I don't think anyone of any significance is going to look at him going over to Saudi Arabia for a couple of years and working over there as a blueprint for getting back into the top end of English football. I may be wrong. And, of course, we've got this, this, this stampede at this moment in time of transactions going on over in the Middle East. Right which is their version of trying to build a league. There's one part of me that says, like every other league in world football, you should have to build your league. We built our English Premier League and others have built theirs. And of course, we've been able to second people from other countries to come and add value to it, but not at a price parameter that just breaks the entire model. Yeah, yeah. There's another side of me that says, there's no reason why these countries shouldn't have the opportunity to advance their football leagues. The argument, of course, around the human rights issues and other issues will come to the fore. And those discussions need to be had inclusively and in isolation. And the only thing I have ever objected to is the consequences of Middle Eastern money, the consequences for everybody else. Not, and I, and that, not the ramifications instantaneously, but the long-term effects of it. If these guys stay throwing this kind of money at this particular project, it will have a ripple effect on every other aspect of football around the world. And that's why I'm uncomfortable with it. Gerard wants to go there and they want to use the imagery of Liverpool as a brand name of, of football to be able to shoehorn attention on them. We know what this is. This is an influence play. Sport is being utilised as an influence play. No doubt Sheikh Mansour's acquisition of, of, of Manchester City was that. PIF's acquisition of Newcastle is that. The Live Golf play is that. And we have to decide... As, a, as, as, as entities and countries whether we want nation states owning our assets and we also have to decide whether there should be some governance over allowing them to initially build yeah, their league yeah. but allowing this to be a constant theme because well, that we, to we, me is, is jeopardy for sport. I must admit Simon we should have seen it coming shouldn't we? Because after they got Ronaldo you're thinking God is that the level of profile they're looking at? And it is but Danny Murphy thinks Gerard has gone for different reasons have a listen. I spoke to him Briefly, when he was deciding the first time a few weeks ago, he was wanting a football project that he knew he could have some sort of benefit from and actually learn something and actually improve his coaching and, and get back to work, if you like. My understanding of Stephen generally is that he wants to succeed in everything he does. And although we're all tempted by extra dough, he's got plenty of dough. If you don't have any other opportunities and you are not working and you're not practising your skill, yeah. you're not coaching anybody, whether it be, you know, Liverpool under-18s, whether it be in Saudi, whether it be wherever. If you're sat on your backside doing nothing, you're not learning anything. I kind of get that. 
Yeah, I mean, it comes a point in life if you've reached rock bottom, if you will, Danny Murphy out as your PR. But, look, <laughs> the bottom line is, is that I can understand a manager like Benitez going to China with a body of work that stands the test of time, and then if he decides to come back, there still may be currency and juice around him. Yeah, right? yeah. When you've got a guy that's gone up to Scotland, yes, he got Rangers out of the mire of complete the, of the abyss with Celtic over a 10-year period. And there's a lot of credit to that, but it wasn't a barnstorming, you know, rambunctious assault upon the Scottish League. He won something that he was brought in to do after three years. He comes into Villa and he made a holics of Villa. There's no two ways about it. He did, because the new guy that comes in takes what's there, re-sophisticates it and turns it into a formidable outfit. Everything that Gerard couldn't do. So he goes now to Saudi with a football project in mind. Football is the gatekeeper to the financial return. Stephen Gerrard would not go to Saudi Arabia if the salary of the Saudi Arabian opportunity wasn't significant. So it's not a football decision, it's a financial decision with football attached to it. And if anybody genuinely believes, from my, this is my view, and people may have a different view on it, that you're going to be taken back into English football two years after the event with a significant consideration of how wonderfully you've done in Saudi Arabia... They're away with themselves. I can speak as a former Premier League football club owner. I can speak yeah, as a championship owner. I wouldn't look at Gerard saying, well, that was a wonderful time that you spent in Saudi Arabia. Your body of work behind that wasn't particularly high. It showed us that you couldn't cope in the Premier League. And you went to Saudi of a lesser league with a splattering of superstar Harlem Globetrotter names coming in. And you produce a team over there. whoop de doo dah The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Still rumbling on, isn't it? When you look at the back pages of some of the newspapers uh, this morning, The Times, Bearstow Row galvanises England. Yes. You think it will? Think it, it will. It will bloody well should do. Absolutely. It will galvanise the crowd, I can assure you, because the Headingley is always a difficult place for the tourists to come over and play at, so it will get the crowd at it, that's for sure. OK, well, the fallout goes on uh, to that stamping of Johnny Bearstow uh, in, the, uh, in the test. Run out. Run out. Brendan McCullum says that the controversial dismissal of Bearstow at Lords will galvanise England in the third test. That's a test they've got to win. No more excuses now. They're two down in the series and that's not lost on one of the greatest ever gentlemen to play the sport of cricket and Sir Geoffrey Boycott. Spoke to him this morning. Like you, Simon, means what he says, says what he means. So we got right to it. The fallout the fallout from all of those uh, moments in that uh, in that match, of course, at large. He gave his take on the, the Bearstow incident and all the fallout that goes with it. So Jeffrey Boycott in fine form. When you're competing and passions are high, you do things instinctively. So Kerry did nothing wrong in throwing the stumps out. Nothing at all. It's just instinctive. You're trying to get a wicket. Johnny Bairstow was dozy, daft as a brush, walking down the pitch. I mean, when you're there, you wait for the umpire to set over. Over at the bowler's end, is up to the umpire. When the six balls have been bowled, says over. That means dead ball. You can't get out. You can wander, do what you want. Or, if it's in the middle of an over, you look behind to the keeper, just, OK, you just signal, OK, you're going to tap the pitch down or talk to your mate, and he'll usually nod or say, fine. That's how it goes. That's the norm. Johnny just wandered off thinking, end of over, what have you. So they did nothing wrong. They were delighted to get him out. But then, when you've got a minute or two to think about it, you're congratulating each other, the captain should have said, well, hang on, what happened there? 
I've had an incident like that. You go to the umpire and say, can we take the appeal back? Because this just doesn't look right. He wasn't trying to get a run. It's different from man-caddy. When someone like Johnny Bairstow is not trying to take advantage, not trying to sneak a run, he's just going to talk to his mate, he's just been a bit daft, then surely you go, hey, hang on. Sorry, can we take the appeal back? And I was there once, 1964 in South Africa. Mike Smith, the England captain, he was out the same way. Trevor Goddard, South African captain, came running up to his players. What happened? What, what happened there? And this and that. He got the gist of it. He went to the umpire. said, can we take the appeal back? He said yes. Mike Smith was nearly off the ground. He called him back, continued his innings. If you don't have standards, then what do you have in cricket? So, Jeffrey, I noticed in your column in The Telegraph, you say Australia need to have a think about what they did and make a full public apology. They're not going to do that. It takes a brave man, a courageous man, to put his hand up and say, hey, we made a mistake in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment, remember, it's passions in the middle of a game. That's why MCC members and the crowd were all upset. It's passion, it's emotion. And we made a mistake, I'm sorry. It won't happen again, we apologise. Just move on, shake hands, move on. People respect somebody who makes a mistake, because we all do, we're all human, who makes a mistake in any walk of life, then put your hand up and say, gentlemen, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. And don't do it again, because that would be stupid. But some people think it's a sign of weakness to admit a mistake. I don't think so. I think it's a sign of strength. In my first test match at Trent Bridge, very first, I'm opening with Freddie Titmus, and Freddie's deaf in one ear, you know. Most people didn't realise that. If you're on his deaf side, he doesn't hear you. And I pushed it for a run to the mid-wicket. Freddie, not realising, not hearing anything, sets off late. The bowler runs across for it, Neil Hawke, knocks him over, throws the ball to Wally Grout then, and Wally holds the ball with Titmus miles out. And he doesn't knock the bales off and run him out. He throws it back to the bowler. If you want to play by the letter of the law in everything you can do, but surely there's a spirit and there's a standards, and you live by that. Yeah. And look, after what happened in Cape Town with sandpaper on the ball, which was pure cheating by the Australians, you would think that in the years to come, they have a little bit to make up to get back people's goodwill, because that wasn't gamesmanship, that was pure cheating. Well, I, I think... They're in no mood to do that, Sir Geoffrey. The Australians have depicted England overnight in newspapers over in Australia as crybabies with, with Stokes dressed in a nappy. Yeah. Well, that's what they like, you see. They see that they've got to support their team, whatever. I don't see that. If you're a sportsman, you look for right and wrong. If they want to say that's crybaby, they were the first people to crybaby. In 1932-33, in the body line, when Harold Larwood, under Jardine's brilliant captaincy, was using the rules to bowl into the body. They didn't like it. They played hell up. They were losing. They said their board sent a telegram to MCC asking them to stop bowling body line because it just isn't cricket. It isn't in the spirit of the game, which is what we're talking about. They started it before anybody did. It suits them when they didn't like it. And even after the series finished, they contacted MCC. They pressurised them to alter the rules so nobody could bowl body line. And they insisted. But when they came a year and a half later to England in 38, 
that there would be nobody buying bold at all, otherwise they weren't coming. So tell me who's the crybaby and who started it. <laughs> Does this not paper over all the cracks, Sir Geoffrey, of the fact that England are two down in the series? Oh, look, that's a separate issue. Let's not paper over any cracks. We've lost it ourselves. We're 2-0 down, we should be 2-0 up. Simple. Our fault, we played some brilliant cricket. They've played lovely cricket as well. It's been exciting, interesting. But we've blown it at certain moments. We've been stupid. We should have been 2-0 up. Let, let's cut through any rubbish. We should have been 2-0 up, not 2 down. And if they carry on playing important moments stupidly, they'll lose again. If they play them smart, they can win because there's nothing much between the teams. England can win, but they have to play at times smart and they have to realise they can't back gung-ho all the time. If you do, you're going to make mistakes and get out. It's a bit like chess, you know. When you play chess, there are moments when you've got to defend and be careful and you're looking for an opening. And then when you can take the opposition's piece, you attack and you take a couple of pieces and then you're watchful and careful again and you're looking for moments. It ebbs and flows, it's ups and downs. We're not doing that. We just believe in our own publicity that we're invincible and they found out they're not. If you don't play smart in test cricket, no matter how much talent you've got, it's going to bite you on the bum and you're going to lose. And that's what England are doing. <laughs> so, Jeffrey Boycott, do you know something? Overnight, I saw some of the newspaper headlines yeah. in Australia and they're, they're making an absolute fool of England and the noises that are coming out yeah. of England as well. Yeah. They're having a pop it. So I think England need to shut up now, Simon, about the Bearstow thing, get on with it. Well, I think they probably would, but there's obviously a lot of media interest in it and the media are fueling it. I saw Piers Morgan talking about it last night with Geoffrey. I mean, I like a lot of what Geoffrey Boycott says. I liked him as a player. You know, I admired his stance on the Kerry Packer situation back in the 70s where he didn't want to go and take the money that other players like Tony Gregg agreed to take. But when we start trotting anecdotes from, from Howard Larwood and the Bodyline series and Douglas Jardine and that series of 1932-33, and we start talking about what happened in 1964 and comparing it and overlaying it to a cricket landscape that's changed dramatically. We've got white ball cricket, we've got 2020, we've got a whole raft of different things that have altered the landscape. The bottom line is, is that I don't like the way the Australians won. I don't like it. Um, and I don't think that it reflects a particular brand of winning that I admire. But they're in a winning business. And in Australia, I wonder what the reaction... Listen, there's two kinds of people in life. There's popular people and there's successful people. It's amazing how popular you become when you're successful. In the minds of the Australian public, would they be reacting, or the Australian press, if Matey Boy Cummins had turned around and gone, no, 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 I'm, turning, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push back on the appeal, I'm going to ask you not to consider our appeal, the Australians that he plays for might have a very different attitude than we have over here. I, I think England should be simply saying, don't like it, we're going we're gonna to turn it on its head by playing another brand of cricket. Well, now you're getting to it, because his last answer was the best one. Sir Geoffrey, you're too down. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So let the cricket do the talking, go head-to-head -head with them and beat them if you can. Well, if you can. Well, this is it. I mean, look. Don't I mean, believe in the hype. I mean, I, I do think there's a slight unfairness on the representation because I don't see the England players running from interview to interview to interview to interview to be able to keep on carping about it. You've got one one bowler that's writing a column in a national newspaper. He's going to have to address it. You've got the England captain asked post the match. But I don't think they're bouncing around the team itself. You might hear side bits from Monty Panesar coming in as a, con as a, as a commentator to suggest his point of view on things. I, I just think 
We heard the amb- you know I'm not going to take etiquette lessons from Australians, but we heard the, Aust- the Australian ambassador talk about you You're know furious, learning you? to lose. You with, are furious. Learning to lose with dignity. How about winning with class? There might be an element of that. You're too down. But the bottom line is, is winning is the overall aspect that we all look back on in the times that pass. England have got to. If England players approach this game with the same energy and vitality that the fans are going to approach it at Headingley. Mm. Give them something to get behind. There's no reason that they can't beat these Australians, but they've made it remarkably difficult for themselves. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. On a more serious note, are we ever going to get back to the point where Russian and Belarusian athletes can show their nationality on the sporting stage again? Wimbledon got underway yesterday and it's underway again today, weather permitting. But unlike last year, Simon, 17 Russian and Belarusian players yep. took to the court following a ban reversal. Currently, they're not authorised to show their national colours. We, we know that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're playing at all, the fact that they're competing at all, is a bone of contention for many. It is. With the war in Ukraine ongoing, with people like Shevchenko, with people like Zinchenko saying, they shouldn't be competing. They shouldn't be competing because of what's going on in in our country. Let's get your thought on that first before we go any further. I must admit, I'm of the opinion that a loophole is getting them in. See, I'm not. And I had a fascinating interview with Victoria Azarenko last week, which you know I did, yeah. and spoke to her specifically about this subject matter because she was remarkably upset about the nature of being excluded from Wimbledon last year. She had talked about putting an initiative forward because the argument was being advanced about Putin being able to leverage political uh, politic, uh, propaganda from sports stars, and she had advanced the uh, argument to Wimbledon about donating all of the winner's prize money to the Ukrainian war fund. And she also made the point, whoever asked, I never asked to have the immutable passport that I have put above my name at a tennis tournament, that wasn't me, that was broadcasters. We never said at any point, as professional tennis players, we want our flag being put above our name when we're playing in a tournament. And she also went on to talk about the reality of she would accept and understand explicitly if you were playing tennis 
in the Olympics where besides the qualification of being good enough to get in the Olympic squad, the only qualification there on afterwards is that you're playing for your country and that makes it a country situation. You've got individual athletes. She hasn't, for example, Victoria, hasn't lived in Belarus since she was 15 years of age. I get that, but she was born in Minsk. But she hasn't lived in... in, in, in so basically what we're suggesting is anybody with a passport that once upon a time lived in that country, that has nothing to do with the politics of that country, nothing to do with the landscape of that country, nothing to do with anything to do with that country besides an immutable situation, which is their passport, should no longer, and we should be the only tournament, because all the other tournaments aren't doing it, the USA didn't do it, the Australian Open didn't do it, and neither did the French. Mm. We allowed our government to lean on the All England Tennis Club to make politics about sport. See Victoria wins it. And she'll do well to do it, but yep. she's a brilliant player. She says she yep. wins it. Putin's mate in Belarus will make all sorts of uh, political gain on that, won't he? Luschenko. Yeah. Well, again, only, and this is a thorny subject between You'll you and I. never stop talking uh, about This it. is a thorny subject between you and I. Only if the same media that want to vilify the opportunity for propaganda are prepared to be involved in the propagation of propaganda. Take me out of it. Let's speak to two people and hear from two people at the heart of the matter. On August 5th, TalkSport will bring you live commentary of uh, Game for Ukraine. It raises funds and awareness of this ongoing war with Russia. Now, ahead of it, Andrei Shevchenko gave an insight into what's happening in his home country, Ukraine, over the last 18 months. A couple days ago, there was um, Kramatorsk. Uh, his, uh, it was two missiles attack hit some, uh, um, some some buildings, and uh, so many people die. And uh, that's it's, every day is uh, it's very sad moment for for you for Ukraine. But we can't give up. We, we just have to keep going. We have to do everything that. Uh, to to exist, the, the, we're talking about not about. It's actually uh, our we're fighting for our future. We're fighting for for chance to exist like a country to have our um, um, language, our culture, and uh, this everything for us. So while these Russian players are pitching up at Wimbledon trying to win a tournament, yep. The Ukrainians are trying to win a war. They're trying to keep hold of their country. They're Indeed. trying to keep hold of their nationality. Indeed. Their language. Indeed. Their everything. Mm-hmm. Now, those Russian players, no doubt, at Wimbledon, I don't know, they might, they might not, they might say, Putin, not my president. That don't matter. That's where they come from. Right. And Shevchenko would argue that. I'm sure they who would. they are. That's why they think about it long and hard, but Ukrainians don't shake the hands of Russians. That's where we're at. Well, yeah, and, and, and again, going into the insight that uh, I got from Victoria about the attitude, and she comes from a background where I think her mother was Ukrainian, so she has absolute empathy and an absolute heartbreak towards the challenges and the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine. But what we're moving toward is making people responsible for the actions of others simply by the very nature of the fact that their passport dictated that once upon a time they were born into a society that they're no longer party to. I understand the argument. I understand the emotional and the sentiment side of it. I I, I disagree with the principle of allowing it to be propaganda because 90% of the world, and we've just seen a potential alleged coup or potential attempted coup in Russia. 
Um, not necessarily because they were in, su- in support of the West's attitude towards the war, but because they weren't in support of Putin and his particular endeavours and the achievements he was having during the war. But notwithstanding that, we're not in the days of 1930s where, you know, Goebbels and whoever else it is can use propaganda to, 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 to influence the way the world sees things. Everybody can see the world very clearly and very transparently now. So this argument, this slippery slope mentality of saying that they can be used for propaganda and Lushchenko and Putin will bask in the reflective glory of people that A, aren't part of his society anymore because they don't choose to be and B, not being denoted by their flags, to me is a slightly unfair concern. It's like suggesting from now on in anybody that goes into a bar and orders a glass of vodka shouldn't do that because it's a Russian produce. Anyone that listens to Tchaikovsky... Not quite. Well, it depends how far you want to take it. Not quite. depends if you, if you, if you if your argument solely is that the propaganda that can be achieved by people that were born in a country that have nothing to do but nothing, nothing more to do with that country is that propaganda can be created out so of when, it. So when, 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 when can they freely demonstrate their nationality on the sporting stage once again? Again, I'll ask you the question and answer it from specifically from an elite athlete. They didn't want to in the first place. It wasn't them that asked people to put their flags up to denote where they came from by going to Wimbledon and playing in tournaments you're not going there because you're Belarusian you're going there because you're an elite tennis player and your only qualification is that you can go there based upon your talents Simon we all come from somewhere we do indeed right and and once upon a time Martina Navratilova came from Czechoslovakia but she's now an American citizen judged by the standards of America nothing to do with what happens in Czechoslovakia and no one would be saying to Martina Navratilova you can't talk to the press because once upon a time you were in the Czechoslovakia the world turns and I think there's an immaturity and a naivety amongst the media as an agenda to perpetuate certain mythologies and one of them is that these players are going to give Putin and Lushchenko propaganda opportunities I think much respected figures like Shevchenko and Zinchenko would disagree with you. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show.